Hey homies, it's Michelle Bennett, graphic designer, turn marketer, turn interior decorator, and apparently now podcast host. That's right, peeps. I selfishly started a podcast so that I would have an excuse to pick the brains of designers, decorators, and industry experts so that I can get to the next level. And the best part is you guys are coming with me. Hey guys, I'm here today with Katie Huffman of Studio Rue. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Michelle. So, okay, this is how Katie became a guest of mine. So she, are you in the, which group was it? It was Ivy. Ivy? Yeah. Okay, so we're in the Ivy group. She shared something. She, she basically said, hey, who'd be willing to contribute to a sourcing file? And then she shared the file with everybody and then I went, so it was a Google file, Google Drive file. And then I clicked on it and it was like pretty much the most glorious thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> and it was also, I have a Google Drive file of sourcing that I've been sitting and waiting to like, I just keep collecting. And then I've been like, oh, I'm going to format this. It's going to be great. And I just never did. So like I saw your file and I loved it. And then I think we just started, I just, I told you you're my hero. And then I thought, you know what? I want to talk to her. <laughs> Yay. Well, go go to the file and put all those sources in because to be I honest, know. I've shared it with like 400 people and not going to lie, not one person has added one. So you know what I'm going to do? I copied it and I'm formatting it. And then what I'll do is yeah. I will share it because I don't want to screw anything up. So that's kind of what I've done. And then once I've formatted and then we can identify like some of the changes yeah. then go from there but yeah when I met, that was the thing I was like oh man people are gonna screw up your file I know and I'm scared to be that guy so and also I didn't know you could you could add little check boxes I, I like that yeah, <laughs> it's new. Nice. yeah. um okay but, so why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your history then with regards to interior design and what your kind of what you said it's been a bit of a long process so yeah Tell us, tell us the deal. So I grew up in Southern California and I went to um, school at San Diego State University. So I got my degree in interior design there and then I got a a minor in business administration. Um, So I wasn't really sure what I was going to do after I graduated, but um, I met my husband, my now husband at that time. So we ended up staying there a little bit longer and I worked for a few different firms, um, residential firms. I actually worked for Susan at... um, Interesting. Yeah, I worked for her for about a year. And then another really great designer named Kareen Maggio. And um, Kareen is actually the one who had started her own little spreadsheet with vendors. And she was like, oh, here, this is an easy tool to help you find things. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I I didn't really think much of it. Um, And then... um, she actually went off to start her own company that or her own another company called Interior Atlas, which is actually like an online platform for like membership for interior designers. Okay. So cool. Um, I haven't checked that out myself yet. But um, from there, I um, started working full time with a commercial firm that I had interned with during college uh, called Smart Design Commercial Interiors. And it was really like not a lot of design focus. It was much more about like the technical side of things. I learned a lot about like drafting really well and putting together like permit sets and going to the city and and how to obtain a permit um, Mm -hmm. for commercial drawings. So I had a really great boss at the time who was like the best mentor. I don't like, 
I could have just skipped college and just like worked for her for a year and it, oh, it was amazing. So, um, then my husband and I got married and he grew up in Portland. So we moved here just under four years ago. And when I got here, I was like, okay, I'm only interested in working for one firm. And Sorry, Portland, Oregon. Yeah. So I live in oh, Portland, Oregon. So now. good. Have my brother-in-law used to live there and he got married there and we, we went to his wedding and I, oh my God, greatest People city ever. It's awesome. It's taken me, a, it's a huge adjustment coming from yeah. Southern California. I mean, I'm a beach and sun person. And so okay. coming to like the dreary gray Pacific Northwest has been a huge, huge change for me, but I'm actually finally starting to adjust to it a little bit. Um, but yeah, so I came and I was like really just interested in working for one firm and they happened to be hiring just a few months after I got here and I got the job and I worked there for about three years. And then last year I ended up leaving and I knew I was going to be starting my own firm, but I just wasn't quite ready to hit the ground running yet. And so I took some contract work and I've had a couple just small projects. And so it's almost like I'm just starting my business right now, like in 2019. Yeah. And so... How many, so how many years did you work within various firms then? So I guess it was about like six, seven years I was working oh, for God. Yeah. I'm very jealous of that. That's awesome. <laughs> and the fact that you worked for Susan Winterstein, I'm sure, I feel like she's like a god in the groups. Like whatever I she know. says, people just like bow down. My goal is to get her on my podcast. So maybe she'll see that you were on my <laughs> podcast and it will prompt her to like know that this exists. And then when I reach out, she won't be like, who are you? Yeah. Cause yeah. I do want her on my podcast. She's um, so awesome. Yeah. She's great. Yeah, I've heard great things. I hadn't talked to her in so long after I'd quit working with her. Um, and so when I joined Ivy, I saw her and I was like, Oh my God, she's like the matriarch of the yeah. Ivy. And it was totally. just cool to reconnect with her. <laughs> so, Okay. So you're working at a firm right now, but also doing your own side stuff or so I quit last year. Um, I sort of, it's kind of interesting. Like after you had reached out to me, I started listening to your podcast and kind of getting more of your backstory. And, um, I think that there's like some parallels between us, um, as far as like the mental health factor. Right. Oh, good. (laughs) I didn't know it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm an anxiety person too. Um, yeah, like back in college, I'd gone through like a pretty debilitating panic disorder period of time, um, that I really learned how to like manage that well. And then when I was working at the firm, I just had this moment one day where like, I it had kind of been building up for a while, but I just had one day, like it was an open office and everyone was kind of talking and there was a lot going on. And I remember just like, I had this feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm about to have a panic attack and I haven't had one in years and years. And that was like the, like a huge red flag. Like my, I was like, no more. Like I, I got to yep. stop, take a beat and like re figure out what I value and like what I really want out of life. Um, so that's kind of been why it's taken me this long to sort of really like dive in and, and kind of go into like the stress of like, you know, managing your own business and, and having to market yourself. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was, yeah. The, so like a similar thing happened to me in corporate and at the end it was just like the last six months in corporate was, and to me, it felt like I didn't really know it was anxiety. I don't know if you had that experience where you're like, this is how people live, right? Like you don't realize it's not a, like there's something going on. 
And um, so I just kind of lived like that most of my life without realizing, never had panic attacks or anything like that. Even my early childhood, though, I had a lot of like nightmares and I, I was, yeah. I would lie in bed, like afraid of certain, like, how am I going to pay for college? I'm like in grade eight going, how am I going to pay for college? And like <laughs> crazy stuff like that. But um, at the end of corporate, just, it went, it got bad. And I ended up going to therapy and my therapist said, your anxiety is your body's way of telling you when you're not doing what you should be doing. So I was like, okay, when I, so then, you know, I lost my job and then I started doing this and I I felt like that, that anxiety went away, but now it's creeping back. Yeah. I'm like, okay, the honeymoon stage is over and it's not always just like, oh, your body's telling you, you shouldn't be here. Like there's also just like, you just need to deal with this. And it's not always like you're not in the right place. And I'm starting to sense it coming back in, in waves and I just want to freaking nip it in the bud because yeah. I know that it can impact. I, I like, you know, you're going to start a business. So you're probably thinking the same thing. Like I don't want this in, to impact my ability to be successful. Yeah. I do find, I don't know if you had this, the more like early on, it was like a little bit more insignificant, but the higher I got in any company, it's like the more that was at stake and the more responsibility I had, the more it became like a real big problem in my life. Yeah. Yeah. For me. And I think that's for me, like why it was happening at that time working for that firm. Cause you know, when I ended up leaving my, the principal at our firm, like we had a really great relationship and she's like, what is, what happened? Like, I feel like we have a great work-life balance here. Like we pay our employees well, you have great benefits. Like we could take vacation whenever we wanted to. Um, you know, we're doing amazing projects. There's so many good things about working there. And I was like, it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> like, yeah just, it's my pressure, like working on projects of that caliber and, and working like in my mind still, like, you know, like I love the work of that firm, like 10 times more than I did before I started there. And it's just like, they're so talented and it's such a, such a high level of, um, like attention to detail that it was just like, Oh my God, you can't screw this up. Like, yeah, you can. And so, and also just that, like, you know, I was listening, actually, I heard something in one of your podcasts that you mentioned about like a quote that you heard that was about like, you know, that your work isn't good because your taste level is like better. That's like my favorite quote of all time. Yes. I love that. Oh my God. Um, I forget who it was, but he does, uh, this American life podcast, I think is. Oh yeah. I read last. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's literally the best quote I've ever read in my entire life that like helps me like I have to remember like go and read that I know it totally when you said that it 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 resonated so much with me which is you know like whatever it stems into so many things like fear failure and not being confident or imposter syndrome all those things but it definitely was like also a huge source of the anxiety that I had because I'm like what I was doing I'm like this isn't as good as like my like team members like I'm not but it, but it was still great work, you know. It yeah. wasn't. I wasn't doing great work. It was just yeah. just based on your standards yeah. of your yeah. Right to me, they're like the it's best really, of the best. So yeah, yeah. It's but. hard. It's so hard. You know what? It's that's another thing too. Um, it's oh, I posted on my um, my Instagram stories recently. Amber Interiors posted this really kind of like personal post, and it was it was just very much like you know how everybody sees me and they assume like I got my shit together. This is me hardcore paraphrasing right now, (laughs) but um, you know, I'm constantly feeling like I'm not good enough and I'm going like, 
what? What? Like this chick is so wildly talented, has built this amazing business, like interior design and a shop. And she feels this way. There was a, there was an actual point to my story right now. And I do not remember what it was, but, um, but I think the, well, I mean, anyways, I'm going to just keep talking because I don't remember what I was going to say, but basically for me, it was just the fact that she felt that way that obviously like our thoughts are not our reality. Oh, and this is, this was my point in a world of social media, especially Instagram right now, like it's a constant barrage, especially in Instagram. Like Facebook was one thing, but in Instagram, it's just whoever you follow, all you see is photos. Yeah. And all I see is photos of work. That's way better than mine. Yeah. And and then some of those people inspire me, but also some of that stuff sometimes puts me in a big spiral of a terrible place. And it, I think it's like really hard. Oh, and I had, so I put, this is the point of my story. And I posted that on my um, Instagram stories. And then I commented on like why that resonated so much with me. And my framer who, um, she's an awesome chick here in Toronto. She frames, she does a lot of work for designers. She said, I hear this a lot from designers where you're constantly feeling like your work sucks compared to everybody else. And the truth is like, we often look to every, a lot of other people to be inspired because we love looking at interiors, which is probably yeah. what got us here. So it's yeah. just like this terrible spiral of like being inspired, but also feeling right. terrible. <laughs> well, and that's like, I think about you cause in that you were talking a little bit about that in that solo podcast that you did. And I really, I loved listening to that. Like it was really like, I resonated so much with everything you were talking about. But one of the things was that, like you were saying how people think that you're so confident. And I would think that if you didn't say like that you had gone through anxiety and that you struggle with confidence, just like anyone else, I'd be like, Mm -hmm. damn, this girl just like came out the gate and is like killing it. And just like putting herself out there, like so vulnerable. And, you know, like even when I was, like I said, when I was leaving my last job, my boss was just like, I don't get it. Like you're fine. You seem fine. You're managing all your projects really well. Like you're doing great work. We're a good team. And I'm like, you have no idea like what I'm really thinking because oh I'm my God, I feel you so hard out the whole time. Like you have no clue. Like what <laughs> I know she doesn't see it cause she's been doing it forever. And she's just like, like, yeah. And I'm like, face. yeah. And I don't even feel like I'm faking it. Well, I feel like I'm sitting there and part of it was, I told her, I was like, I'm not bringing, I'm not bringing good energy to this office and it's not fair to you. And it's not fair to the other employees because they're like, this is not the best of what I can do, you know, and it's not fair to me and it's not fair to you. And, and in her mind, it was like, no, but you're doing great. And I'm like, I could do so much better. Oh my (laughs) God. I freaking feel you so hard. Like everything you're saying. So was she shocked to say that she thought that, or sorry, was she shocked when you said like, my energy isn't great? Yeah. And I think like she may pick up on that a little bit, but like, she's so busy, like she's all over the place, you know, and she's managing so many people in that office that I just think it just, she was like, great. You got it all taken care of. I was really like always kind of, I don't know, I'm a pretty like assertive direct person. And so she always just kind of felt like I was taking care of my stuff and it was always fine. But you know, like on a personal note, we had so many times where we'd be like traveling for a project together or, you know, driving around town doing whatever. And I would talk to her a lot about like issues I've had with like spirituality and like mental health. And that she knew about like that I've struggled with depression for a really long time. She did, she has too, you know, like we related in a lot of that stuff, but I wasn't, she wasn't seeing it all the time. You know, I wasn't freaking out to her when I was freaking out. I'm not going to tell her that I'm like, yeah, about something. Of course. 
Yeah. But I because mean, you're I, like, I got to have my shit together or otherwise I'm going to lose my job or. Right. Right. Yeah. And you know, there's no stopping. Like you have the, the caliber of projects and clientele that you're working with. Like you don't get to have like a bad day with them. Like you have to be on your game and you have to be delivering really great product and design. So it was, it was just too, it's not that that was too much for me. Like I probably, if I had just been in a better mental space, I could have handled all of that. It's just like, for me, like I knew that I wanted to be on my own. I knew that I needed the autonomy Mm -hmm. was going to be working for someone else. I just had a whole other set of needs that had to be met that weren't happening in that firm. And just, it wasn't structured or set up to, to kind of foster the things that I needed it to. Um, and so I, you know, for me, it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to go on my own and figure it out. And, you know, like even now I, I like fantasize, like women my age are like fantasizing about like so many are like, Oh, I can't wait to be like a really great mom. And I'm like, I can't wait to be a really great boss. <laughs> like yeah, I dream yeah. about like, you know, having this environment where employees feel really valued and, um, yeah. can really not, not go through what I've gone through, you know? Yeah. So do you have children or no? No, not yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. With that? <laughs> I have a dog that I'm incredibly obsessed with, but that's okay. That's fair. Yeah. What kind of dog is it? He's a German Shepherd. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, he's yeah. I have a cat, and that's enough. Um, I don't know how. I honestly don't know how people running their own businesses like these businesses have time for children. I don't. I feel like I constantly work all of the time. Um, okay, I want to actually. I love this conversation. By the way, I didn't know what we were going to talk about, but this is where we are, and I like it. Um, so what have you done like to help manage all that stuff? So after you left that because of, you know, how it was making you feel, what was your next step in order to kind of get your head right? Well, you know, I had been, like I said, this started the first time in college when I had gone through like about six months. I mean, I was failing out of my classes. Like I couldn't drive my car because I would get panic attacks when I would drive. Mm -hmm. It was a really dark time. It was like the darkest time for me. And uh, you know, I really like during that over time, I learned how to like manage a lot of the like mental health stuff I was going through. But, um, so I, I had some tools, you know, that I learned back then part of which is, you know, medication when you need it. <laughs> but, um, when I, it was kind of funny cause when I, I started feeling really discontent and like wanting to start thinking about moving on from my job or just not knowing like how to, what to do. And I started actually, one of the biggest things that helped me was starting to listen to podcasts. I became like a podcast junkie overnight. Yeah. And I was listening to like all these like female entrepreneurship podcasts and they were so inspiring every morning on the way to work. Like I would like treasure the days where I had more traffic so I could just sit there and like last longer (laughs) yeah I got so inspired it was so amazing to hear other women and I'm just like what am I doing like there's so many women that have created their I mean men too but you know created their own (laughs) but like it's just it's so cool I mean and there's no reason why like I know what my strengths are and I, and I see what these other women are doing. I'm like, I, I can do that if I just chill out, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. learn. And so <laughs> that like, how, that definitely was like the, the arsenal like that I needed behind me to be like, okay, I'm ready to like pull the trigger and like quit my job and just go out, go out on a limb. And one thing that also really helped me was, um, there was a therapist that I worked with during that transition and she like specializes in like life transitions for people. Okay. She isn't like, she's not my therapist anymore. Actually I'm looking for a new one, but uh, she's awesome. And she really helped me like so much. It was very like, you know, she taught me so much about like making decisions. Like when you make a decision, if you don't know what to do, cause I was like, should I quit my job? Should I start a business? What should I do? Yeah. 
Yeah. And she was like, when you are, when you are making a decision in life, you, you are sacrificing something no matter which way it is, if it's the right decision or not, you're going to sacrifice something and you, you can sit there all day and talk about the pros and cons of things. But what you need to identify for yourself is like, what do you value? Like what is most important to you in your individual life? And once you have a set standard of like how, what you value and what you're willing to put up with, then it's easy to look at any decision and say like, to not sit there and get hung up on like, yeah, but if I do that, then I'm not going to you know, do this, or maybe I won't make as much money. Like, doesn't matter if yeah. you value, like for me, it was like, I was like, I have no backup plan. Like my husband and I rely on my income as well as his to, yeah. to pay the bills. And I had no business quitting my job. Like I really didn't, <laughs> I had no, plan, no savings. Yeah. I kept on my retirement and like lived on that for a minute. And it was like, but you know what? I was like, I'm going to like crash and burn right now if I don't stop. And my, it, it took that line for me of like, this is enough. Like I've had enough. I can't go another day. Um, so anyway, the, the therapy was super helpful just to transition for that. I honestly feel like every human being on the earth, that's a, from a child to a 90 year old should be in therapy just Agreed. because it's like, we have so much stuff bombarding us all the time and so many opinions and, so much information and in social media that like, you just need like a real ear in a quiet space. That's like, yeah, not, you know, an unbiased, uh, opinion. Yeah. So anyway, I'm, I'm looking for a new therapist. Cause I feel like going through like the transition of like starting, like really ramping up and taking on like clients and look like, you know, managing those relationships is, you know, yeah, I, it's going to get real for sure. <laughs> it's like, I feel like it is the time. Like if this is, I kind of wish that I had started to deal. I think I just thought, oh, great. I lost my job and now I'm doing what I love. So my anxiety, that's all it was. But that the reality was like, yeah, there were, I think your environment impacts it. But yeah. at the same time, like there's stuff in your brain that's not like firing correctly. That's like right. screwing everything up and you need to deal with it. Yeah. Um, like I, I know for me... And, the biggest ways that it impacts my business, which is why it's so freaking important for me to deal with it is number one. I, I don't know if you have this, I get overwhelmed extremely easily and I will just snap. Like I'll just say, yes, I keep saying yes until all of a sudden, like, and then when I see the emails come in, it's just like, it starts to build. Right. And I used to do that in corporate all the time. Every and time your phone rings, you're like, ah, who is it? Yeah. Or <laughs> it's like, I'm actually afraid for a lead to come in yes. because I, I'm like, Oh God, I can't handle that right now. And, and I think it's really bad because I totally believe in the energy you put out. And I feel like when I'm in that state, I'm not putting out a universe, give me stuff vibe because right. You're like, then, no. I'm not, yeah, I'm like, no. So I'm like, I need to deal with this and get ahead of it. And also, um, I procrastinate. I, is that something that has, is that something that you do as well? Yeah. I think like one thing that I, I knew would be an issue for me, cause I have like taken on some small projects in mm -hmm. the last year. But, um, one thing for me, I knew that working from home would be a challenge, even though it's like, ha like a huge reason why I wanted to work for myself. <laughs> and I'm realizing that like, when I'm, when I have a lot going on or I have like the tendency to procrastinate, like forget working at home. Like I absolutely have to go to a coffee shop because I will do nothing. I will just sit there on Instagram and all of a sudden it's four o'clock and I'm in pajamas and my, I'm like, my husband oh, cannot shoot. 
and seeing right <laughs> I'm now. In my, I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> yeah. So that's like a huge, you know, the, I definitely procrastinate. It's, I think that one thing that's great about being on your own is that you're, for me, it was like, it, whenever I was working for someone else, they had a certain style or, or I had this idea of the expectations that they had of me and the work that I was going to do for them or what my pro, you know, my outcome was going to be. And I think that I actually, I did my worst work when I was feeling that anxiety. I mean, I would just put together crap. I remember the first, it was funny because with Susan, she probably doesn't, she might, I don't know, maybe she'll remember this, but one of the first projects I was working on, Susan, (laughs) um, she, I remember like, I was like, Oh, like she has this, a certain look and a certain style. And it wasn't something that came really very naturally to me at the time. And so when I was like doing like the, I don't even know what it was. I like put together like some furniture for a living room or something. And like on a little like presentation sheet. And I was, I'm like, this is garbage. Like, this is so ugly. I don't even think this looks good. And I remember just like freaking out about it and finally showing it to her. And she was so nice, but she was like, um, I think we can do a little better. Like she was kind of just like really cool about it. And like, man, she must have faith in me from like looking at my portfolio or something because this is terrible. Like this is, this is not even good work. And I, but I, I just couldn't get over like the fear of like, is this what you want? Is this what you yeah. want? Oh. I'm doing my own work. I'm like, hell yeah. Like this looks great. And I'm like, what about that? What about this? Like, it's more fun. And so the actual work is more fun when you get to it. So I think that helps me not procrastinate as much um, because I really, I feel, I actually feel pretty confident in like my aesthetic. I'm definitely, my, my biggest lack of confidence is probably in like running the business side of things, but, and also like, I don't have a ton of experience with construction. And so those are sort of my like pain points right now, but aesthetically I feel pretty confident in the work I do, but I suck at doing it for other people. And when I, when I'm just doing what feels right to me in a space, it's like, I just flow. And that to me is like one of the most fun things, you know? So it's, it's easier not to procrastinate when it's going to be when you don't feel like this pressure from something with the work you're doing. So it's so true. I mean, I think about my early, think about my early projects and either the budgets were crap um, or I was working with clients that I didn't feel like I necessarily was aligned aesthetically. And you're con- and then I got burned so many times early on where I would present cause Hey, I, I didn't have like a design background. I literally came from marketing uh, I was a des- graphic designer. So I, I didn't know what I was doing as far as like how to present. What's the process? Yeah. And I would get burned so bad where I felt like I would leave and be completely redoing the entire thing. Like I, so, and there's nothing more deflating than feeling like you completely missed the mark. And, and now I find when you get to the refinement stages and you need to resource, like you're questioning everything, Yeah, yeah. which is like, now you're, now you're, you're so right when you say like, when I feel like I'm designing for someone else and you're thinking, oh, are they going to like this? Are they going to like this? All of a sudden you completely remove the magic of yeah. the design. I know it was funny because one of the things that like working for the last designer I worked for, like she's such a, I mean, she's so creative and she has so many great ideas and I feel like there were, there were like times when we would be like meeting with a client and they're saying one thing, I'm listening to the client and then I'm listening to her response. And I almost felt sometimes like she was like, I'm just going to pretend I didn't hear that. And we're going to do this instead. And I remember thinking like, I remember thinking at the time, like, 
man, if that was my business, like I would be like listening to the client more. And like, I just feel like she wasn't listening and I'd be more like critical of her. Yeah. But now I'm like, I mean, honestly, like, I'm sorry you don't like it, but I'm a designer and you have not as great taste. Like, I don't know. Like there's a, there's a balance of like, I can't just like dumb down the design. And so I kind of feel like just learn to sort of like, like plow through it and be like, it'll come up again if it's really important, but I'm just going to keep moving in this direction. And honestly, that's how she's like built what she's built, you know? And I, so now I'm starting to like realize a lot of things where I'm like, that's why she does it that way, you know? And I think, it's just, I think that over time, like I, I, I'm confident that like you'll get to that. I mean, you have been doing this longer than I have on my own, but I think there's like a balance there because I've had more experience. Learned so much. Yeah. You know, your confidence gets to a point where you really start trusting yourself more and you're able to sort of like lead those conversations in a better way instead of being like railroaded or, or thinking that people have a certain expectation that maybe they don't have you know, that oh like, my God. that it's so funny. I feel like you said that twice now where it's like a lot of the times we just hear what we're, we think they mean and, or, you know, cause you said something earlier that I, I kind of mentally noted that you were like, um, you know, I was doing what I thought she wanted or something like that. But, um, it's funny cause I was talking to, and, um, she's like a, she's, she helps designers and homeowners, um, with, art find art so she's like an art uh you know what it's terrible that I don't remember what what's that like a broker or like a kind of I guess I don't know if that's what she calls herself but yeah so she finds like high-end very expensive art for clients and anyways we were talking about you know I I said she was way more politically correct than I was being but I'm like well what happens I'm like just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you have good taste and you know, and it's, I mean, how many times do we see that? And like, when you, I don't, you go into a home sometimes before you're about to do stuff and you're like, yeah, but you, you did pick this, this stuff on right. your own. <laughs> you apparently think this is nice. Right. And then I worry, like, if I actually show you nice things, like, are you even going to like it or do you have bad taste? Like, I don't know how to, I don't mentally understand how to deal with that necessarily. But we were talking also about the fact that, you know, catering to like people's needs and listening to them. And I do obviously think that's extremely important. And you, you hear a lot of things like in the Facebook groups, for example, like, um, you know, I, people kind of tend to sometimes knock designers who have a specific aesthetic or, you know, I, yeah, but you know what, I'm, I'm a designer who will work with whatever the client wants. And my philosophy is more, I'm an artist I just happen to be using furniture and textiles and color and this and that, whatever that looks like. And while I do need to listen to my client, ideally I'm connecting to a client who enjoys my aesthetic already and allows me to bring my artistic touch into their home, obviously to deliver what they want based on the function of the space that they need and, and, and not impose things on them that they hate. But at the end of the day, I would rather a client want to work with me because they enjoy my aesthetic and my, and my artistic creativity. Yes, that is. So right now, one thing I've been really like working through is branding and I like just sitting down and really writing out, like going through lots of different questions about, you know, what, what my ideal client is and what I'm really going to be like specializing in and, and what my niche will be. And you know, I, I've been thinking a little bit, I haven't really come to any conclusions, but I've been thinking like, how am I going to express that exact idea? Because basically for me, like I, I really believe that, um, 
our interior environment has such an impact on our, on our mental and physical health Mm -hmm. and getting that right and getting the function of your home, especially, or your, or your workplace or your restaurant for the patrons that visit, like having the right experience in your home is going to be influenced by the environment, like by so much. And so I think that like, for me, what would be, you know, an ideal client is somebody who's like, look, this is what's not working for us. This is what we, this is the lifestyle we want. And this is where our home is limiting us from living the lifestyle that we dream of. And then, and then trusting my aesthetic and me to come in and be able to tell them like, here's how we make it not only functional, but like in a beautiful, beautiful way to create the environment that you need to live out the life you want. And so obviously that's a dream, but, and you're not going to always have that. And people have opinions of what they like or don't like. And, you know, like I'm even working right now, um, my acupuncturist, who's awesome. She just opened her a new space. And so I'm just doing work for her. I offered to do it right when I, right when I had um, left my job, she, I was working with her and uh, it's really funny because I listen to her and she's not, we're not, she's not paying me or anything, but it's just, I'll be like, Hey, what about this? And she's like, I don't like that. And she'll just tell me straight out. And I'm like, okay. And then like the next day she'll be like, Oh, I went and bought that thing that you said. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's resistant sometimes, but then like she comes around. So, you know, I think there's something that needs to happen early on, which I know is going to be a challenge and like vetting those clients and like really interviewing them hard because you end up stuck with them for a year. Like, depending on the scale of the project, there were projects that, you know, when I had started my last job, I came in and one of the designers was leaving on maternity leave. And she was like, we have this huge, like 9,000 square foot home. It's gorgeous. We've done the whole renovation of the space. And now uh, we've picked, you know, most of the major furnishings for the house. And now it's just about ordering procurement and like filling in some blanks. It'll probably take maybe six months more or something like that, just to get to the finish. Yeah. Cool. I can do that. So I started with them. I worked on that project for two years and eight months. Oh, wow. Yeah. That stage. And it's like, there were so many other things. And I'm like, oh my God, this client, like it's a huge house, you know, and they were patient and really wanted like great quality. And so it was a slow process, but my God, I'm thinking that client has been in construction and finishing the design of their home from start to finish over like five years. Holy crap. (laughs) You know, like it's not always. Yeah. Yeah, We're in for a real long road here, client. Yeah. And if you don't have a great, you know, relationship or if it's a constant battle, I mean, you're never going to, you'll probably never be on the project that long. So you'll just be like, wrap this up, you know, as fast as you can and get out of there. But you know, it's hard though. It's really hard. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it's funny that you said, uh, cause I'm, it'll be three years for me in April and I still, I still don't feel like I've like found my true aesthetic. I still know that I haven't had that project yet. That totally feels like that was so me. Maybe there's like a couple rooms where I'm like, you know what, this was the one time I really truly felt like I got to deliver. I will say the more I've charged the a hundred percent, the more the client allows me to push them harder and and make decisions that I know deep down they're like, I'm scared to do this. Yeah. But it's like, they're, they're like, you know, we're going to trust you. Yeah. They've invested in you and they know that they're not just like, you know, throwing you a bone and just seeing if you bite, like, they're like, no, I want this to be accomplished. And so Mm -hmm. they trust what you're doing. It's good to hear that too, because, you know, like at the same time, I'm also trying to like, 
I have some ideas of pricing and I know that how I've done it at other firms, but being in like the Facebook groups and stuff, I see so many people talking about the way that they price their services and their products. And I haven't quite decided 100% how I'm going to approach that. I mean, I think for me, hourly makes most sense just from my own experience so far, but it's, you know, I think there's a lot of fear um, around letting, like letting, establishing your value with the client and and not wavering on that. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, I have one project that I've been doing that I got early or I guess middle of last year, we had started the process and then we're just now in construction and it has been <laughs> such a challenge. Like, and I'm just like, Oh my God, all the things like I've learned so many things about like pricing my services. And I'm like, you know, one conclusion I've come to with just like the frustration I felt on this project is like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. Like I, sh- I should never have taken this project because what I should have told him is you can't afford a designer. It's not in your budget to even work with me, you know, yeah. but I was desperate, you know, I'm not desperate, yeah. but I was excited to take a project and, you know, it was my first big renovation and then, okay, cool. Let's just jump in and let's go for it. This is awesome. But then, you know, I've just, I've learned so many, so many lessons along the way. And I'm glad it's happened. Like I've never in my life been so happy for a struggle. Like I'm totally a creature of comfort and don't want to suffer, but (laughs) this has been tough. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I'm learning now, like things like, like you're talking about with how to price and how to really establish value early on and to really stick to your guns on how you approach that. Like at the beginning of this project, I had given him like a, a workflow estimate of like my the hours that I was expecting for the project. And then so many things went haywire. And it was like, I've literally spent like four times the amount of hours. And I'm like, I can't bill him for this. Like I've billed him some extra that's understandable, yeah. but so much of the learning curve for me. And I know, I, I get know, it. My scrubs, I ended up working. I mean, I've, I've been working on it a lot for this whole time. And I made okay money on it as a first job, but you know, it hasn't yeah. been. It, it, there were a lot of lessons learned and, and about setting expectations with clients and how to like really express value early on so that you're oh not. Oh my God. No. Yeah. I, that's like such the takeaway for me from last year was my best client and a good client experience for me is the one that I fully managed the worst case scenarios to. And just anybody like, Anyone who is still willing to, you know, work with you, you've given them like, okay, this is the minimum. Early on, it's like, okay, I'm going to, I just really like this client and, you know, I'm sure I could do it in this many hours. It'll be fine. And then you you just really realize over time that you can't have your cake and eat it too, client. Like you either want good design and you want to pay for it. And if you can't pay for it, that's cool you're going to have to do it yourself. You know, right. like you can't get both. <laughs> like you're gonna well, have that to- was my mistake is like, I wasn't realizing, I wasn't really thinking through it where I'm like, the truth of the matter is like, he could never have afforded what I was the amount of work that it would take to get the job done. And I'm like, yeah. what I should have offered him was a much more light design. I still would have taken the job, but I should yeah. have been like, Hey, here, I'm going to just do a really simple set of drawings. You're going to go off with your contractor and work. This is not full, full, full service. Yeah. And I didn't do that. And so now I've just been like, all right, I'm eating it. Like I'm eating yeah. it hard. <laughs> and it's, I have eaten it so many times. I'm so full. 
Yeah. I just, I have no, I'm like, hey, I can't have no more room for eating of any of it. Even yeah. though I still will, I'm sure. Like we all still will. But my first two years was just me eating it. <laughs> like every project I ate it. Every single one. That's how I expect it to kind of go down. But I'm like, damn, I don't really have financially, like I can't really afford to do that. So I better like wise up really fast. Because yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. And you know what it was for me too was same deal here. Like I this house has to be dual income contrib- contributions to us for us to, to live here. And uh early on what would happen is I'd grossly undercharge grossly. And I'd still need to pay my bills. So I just keep taking on more clients. So I was like, some people do this, no problem. But I was dealing with 12 clients, like fairly active at once. And it was horrible. Like, imagine the mental health too, right? So I'm not sleeping at night because the anxiety is so high. But I'm like, I got to pay my bills, more clients. (laughs) So now I'm like, you know what, less clients, more money please. Well, it's really funny. I was just thinking about this the other day. So like, have you ever worked in the service industry? Like as a a server at a restaurant? Like like three Saturdays and then I had to go. I couldn't do it. (laughs) I I don't enjoy doing that type of work, but I did it all through college and even after college. And it's really funny because I look at a lot of these like big, if you work for more of a corporate restaurant chain or something, they'll usually have like your table sections when you're on a shift, they'll have like you might have like four to six tables tops at one time because you can't manage in that amount of time, that many things multitasking at at once. You can't do it well. And so most restaurants, that's how it worked. And then I've worked in restaurants, like the last one that I worked with, I made crazy good money there. It was such a great restaurant, but there were, we would have like about a six table section and that was enough to keep you running around all night long. And then if you were like lucky enough to come in and get the patio one night, cause that, that's in San Diego, everyone sits outside. We like would split it in half and you'd have like 12 tables and oh my God, like it's, it's like the same amount feels okay to me, I guess. When I think of it like that, or I'm like 12 yeah. tables. No, no, no. Like you are forgetting about that couple on a date. They, yeah. they never even got their check. I mean, they're like just waiting around till everyone's gone for, for just to pay their check. And I'm like, Oh my God, I totally forgot about you. Or you, you know, you just forget everything. You can't do it well. And those corporate companies are like, we're all about service. Like your dessert is going to come out in eight minutes with two yeah. spoons and like they have it down pat. And so I think about that a lot. Cause I'm like, that actually feels about right. Like four to six projects feels manageable. 12? No, like, no, there's so many moving parts and things like I, like I said, I worked on that one project for, you know, almost the three years I was at the company I was at. That project kept me busy almost full time. One project. I mean, it's a big house, but like I was busy and I'm like, I, I really don't even know what, like, I think the workload there, most designers there were only taking on, like, I think three, maybe four projects at a time. I mean, they're really intensive like ton of detailed projects. Um, it's, it's just not sustainable. So you have to make the money you need to make to make it worth the, the, you know, totally. And the thing too, is like, I, I've just realized even in my own experience is, um, two things actually. And it was, um, have you heard of Wydell and Boschetti? They've been in, yeah. So they were on my podcast too. And I had seen like that they've like grown pretty rapidly and she posted something on her Instagram and it said something like, People remember um, the quality of the work, not how fast you do it. And I was like, oh, dang, that is good. Because 
sometimes we're always like, oh, I got to do this. And I've tried to let that go. You know, being a people pleaser, I really tried to let that go and remind myself like, they might be annoyed if I say it's going to take me a little longer to presentation, but if I deliver a better end product, that's what they're going to remember anyways. They're not going to, they're not going to be like, oh, well, you did it fast, but I don't love the end result. Right. And then the other thing is like, people, even if you give them a great price and you're like, well, you get what you pay for it, they don't see it that way. They still just expect the best, no matter what. So like, I, I think of a friend who they hired a contractor and I think it was like very affordable and, but there was like numerous things they weren't happy with. And we were kind of like, well, you get what you pay for. And that's the, that's the thing though. Like people aren't like, well, you know what though? <laughs> Shoot, I did get what I paid for. No, they're like, I still want the best. So you know what? I'm going to charge you and you might not say, well, that was super cheap, but you're going to say, damn, that was worth it. She right. Did job and she made it right when she needed to. And, you know, I felt like I was important. And if I charge the right amount and I don't have to juggle too many clients and I can make sure you don't feel like you're just like a number. Well, it's a luxury service. I mean, I think it's really easy to forget that sometimes, especially like as, you know, newer designers and you're going to take clients that maybe aren't the right client or don't have the budget that you would ideally be working with. And it's just, it's never going to, it's never going to be what it should be. Like, it's never going to be the quality that you expect from a project. You're never going to be happy with it. The client probably won't be happy with it. Yeah. I forget what my point was about that, but it, you know what? <laughs> it, Join the club. I've been doing that all. Yeah, I know I was doing that yesterday too. Like a bunch <laughs> of, it's really funny. Another side note, by the way, uh, speaking of like managing anxiety, I recently was, uh, I decided this year that I was going to, I was going to like lose a certain amount of weight by a certain amount of time. And one of those things ways to do it was like, no more wine. Like I'm going to lay oh, off. Jesus. And it's so funny because people have told me so many times like, Oh, it causes anxiety. And I'm like, no, it's fine. And I don't drink a ton of wine, but like, yeah. you know, especially when I was like more stressed out, I was definitely coming home and having a glass of wine at night. And I honestly stopped drinking wine. And I swear my anxiety levels are like, like at least like 60% lower on a general day-to-day basis. It's crazy. But I had wine the other night. <laughs> I had wine the other Not night. Not at all? No wine whatsoever? No, I had it like very, very little. Like I'll, and, and I thought it would be a harder transition, but once I realized how much it was helping me, I was like, wow. Yeah. To be honest, like yeah. I have a family member who has a lot of like addiction issues and it's kind of like, even if he's not, you know, he, whatever, in the midst of like drinking or something, if he's even just on a regular basis drinking, it changes completely who he is. And I've struggled a lot with like that relationship. And I was like, man, what if that happens to me? Like, what if my anxiety and all this stuff that I deal with is just because of that? And then I stopped drinking and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, I get it. How long has that been? Uh, the new year. Okay. Yeah, like since January, it really did. When, when you say very little, like quantify how often you you might have a glass of wine now yeah. or before, um, yeah. like maybe like once or twice a week at the most, and like one. obviously just one at a time. Yeah, a lot less, <laughs> a lot less. And what were you and, drinking before? Well, I was drinking probably like I don't know, like maybe three or four nights out of the week, I'd have a glass of wine. Yeah, okay, so yeah with dinner or something. And yeah. but I never realized, like, I mean, you know, I totally like so many people, like it was nice to just chill and relax because I was super stressed out and overwhelmed all the time. I wasn't getting wasted, but yeah, um, you know, I just, I 
never realized how much it really does impact like my just my overall mood and happiness like I notice I like sing in the shower more well that's like fun that. yeah so that's um, okay so I might have to try that okay here's a hot tip for you I've I swapped uh, there was a point when I think I did like a dry January or you know how you do that right um yeah. I swapped um wine for kombucha oh yeah kombucha yeah. It's a, it, and it, it just feels like, I mean, apparently there's a slight bit of alcohol in it, like yeah. minimal, but I, sometimes it's just like, it's the action. It's like something. And okay. So another thing I've decided is I feel like I need to take on a hobby. Yes. And I'm th- I'm thinking about knitting. <laughs> All right. <laughs> because I feel like it's like I'm doing something and I have to concentrate on that. And it doesn't involve technology. I'm, I'm really, you know what listeners or you or anyone if you have any ideas on a hobby that can be done at home that doesn't involve technology, cleaning, organizing, reading, <laughs> shout it, give it to me because I need something. Well, you're so funny saying that because my husband lately, like, I don't know, like, what's gotten into me, but over the last few weeks, I keep saying to him, I'm like, what's your hobby? And then I'm like, I need a good, I need a hobby. And I'm like, yeah. design. Yeah, design cannot be my hobby because it's my work. And yeah. I'm like, literally, my hobby could be sitting on Pinterest all day long and looking yeah. at pretty pictures. Yeah. And I'm like, this is not a real hobby. Like, and, yeah. you know, exercise is good, right? But I like, know, but you can't do that every night for five hours. Right. right? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, it's good, but there's a limit to it. So, yeah. Like, what do you feel you know with? <laughs> for me, like, one thing I really want to do, I actually just bought some more supplies, like, last week is um, watercolor painting. I love it. It's so like, it's so therapeutic just to like, I don't know, just sit there with the brush and like, let it like wash over the paper. Like it's really, it's kind of like Zen for me. I I thought about that too. My issue with art is that my perfectionism kicks in and it becomes not enjoyable if it doesn't look good enough. That's, I'm that way too, for sure. (laughs) That's just going to bring on a new type of, part of me thinks like, this is my thought. My hot take is my hobby has, I don't give a shit if my knitting is good or not. Like my, I have no, because the thing about art is like, that was the only thing I was ever good at. So like I hold myself to a standard, right? Whereas like knitting. So I, if I can't, in theory, it's creative, but yeah. like, I don't really care if my knitting is good or bad. I really do not care. I don't have a stake in the ground. Like I must be good at knitting. So I feel okay about it, but I worry like, yeah, if I start to draw the last time I drew I drew a picture of my uh, my boyfriend and his brother as children as a gift for his parents this was like six years ago seven years ago and that just stressed me out because it was never good enough and you're just like never ever good enough so part of me thinks it has to be something that like is not overly creative where I I feel like I should be good at it and if I'm not then I'm like down on myself Maybe some kind of <laughs> hobby that's like, there's no end to it. It's just something you do. I don't know what yeah. that is, but. I don't either. So yeah, people, whoever's listening, email me, Yeah, uh, private message me, whatever. Are you going to go to High Point or anything like that? I would love to. Um, yeah. I think, you know, uh, that was kind of the thing with the spreadsheet was for me, like when I had created that over time, I had just been adding and adding and adding vendors to it without considering anything about trade only or retail. It was just people that have great product. And so when I joined Ivy, I was like, Oh my gosh, like I've been to, I've been to the Vegas market a few times and some other like commercial, um, I forget the name of the one. There's another one in Vegas. That's a big commercial uh, design show, but 
anyway, um, that, you know, it was a great experience, but I wasn't there to like really source anything. I was yeah. going with like employers of mine. And so now I, I'm realizing like, you know, obviously there's a huge freaking huge, huge amount of money being left on the table if you're yeah. not sourcing from, from some of these trade only sources. And so I really would love to go. Um, yeah. I haven't, I, I don't think I'll end up doing it this maybe later this year for fall or something, but it's a, I, I think one thing I would let, I want, really want people to add to it because I really want to go through and just see who some of the vendors are that people are really mm-hmm. loving. Um, yeah. one thing I notice um, from a lot of the designers that I've like checked out their work from the Ivy group is that a lot of them are really like more transitional style and I'm much more of like a modern designer. And so for me, yeah. like there's it's not hard. a lot of, I haven't seen a lot of great, sources that are trade only but have like more modern products and that are that aren't like coming from Italy and like crazy expensive like finding some of those like mid to higher range um sources that are really nice product like it's just it's so I'd be curious to go to high point just because I know it's massive and I just wonder if I might be able to like weave through a lot of that and find some really good key sources that have my reservations that I'll be successful. I don't know. We'll see. It's but. hard. Okay. I, I have a similar issue and then add the fact that I'm in Canada. So my access to a lot of the vendors, like I really like, you know, like your forehands, noir furniture. Um, like I'm, I'm not traditional at all. And it's really, I, I mean, I'm just going to say it's really hard in Canada. I haven't cracked the code of I can I can create a forehands account, but the problem is the duty, the exchange, like all of that. And you don't know, you don't have the visibility to that because they only quote you in American money. You don't know what you're going to pay in duty till it shows up. Then you have the added like element of like if it shows up damage. It's just at this point, I found it really hard. I I I will say I find that if you're more of a traditional transitional designer you have a lot more options as far as trade only sources. And maybe that's just me like being naive or close my, I don't know. Like that's, I'm like, Oh, it seems easier to be able to have those sources when that's your style. But when you have more of a kind of maybe more like a mod, I wouldn't say my, my aesthetic is modern, but it's definitely not traditional or transitional. And it's, it's really hard. And, and I find that when I try too hard to source trade only, because I want to make the money. And this is a, something I had to, I had to check myself for. Um, I find that I'm not really, I'm like, this isn't my true aesthetic. And I feel like I was trying a little too hard to make some money. So now I'm like, I have to source retailing here yeah. because that's like, if I want to be creating rooms that I'm proud of and that I feel like are my true aesthetic. And then I'm like, this is it. Then I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm going to keep trying to figure out the trade thing so I can get, the additional money. But in the meantime, like I just have to be true to my aesthetic and what I think is the best option. I'm totally. That is something too, that when I was working for the last firm, I, um, I, I would sometimes talk about like looking for sources or like, should we go to like a, like a furniture show or like go see what's out there in the world. And the everyone in the firm was really like kind of resistant to it and I didn't really understand it at the time but now I'm real I realized when I worked there longer that like the the goal for the project was never to make money off the client I mean it was never like 
I mean, it was like a perk. It was almost like a perk of a project that we were making money on furniture. It was never the goal. We spent a lot of design hours on those projects and those clients could afford to pay for that. So I think the majority of the income was coming from design fees, but you know, we did a ton of custom everything, like everything. It was like, we almost went first to custom before going to any vendor at all. Um, and so obviously that's super expensive and not everybody can afford that, but, um, it was, you know, that that's where, and you, you can mark up on, on custom furniture and that sort of thing. And then it was like, from there, the next step was what is the right thing for the design? What is going to look amazing? And, and then where did it come from? And great. Oh, we get 40%. Oh, we only get 10%. Who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And it never, it was never an issue. So you know, that's a nice world to live in if you can like really make that much on design fees. But it is hard to like know that if you were sourcing from these other trades or sources that you would be making so much more money. And so that's the key, I think, is just like weeding through and and finding some of those vendors. And one thing that's kind of funny is I've become in the last few years, I've become completely obsessed with like Australian designers. And I, I don't, you know, like once you search for something on Google, that's all you get fed. So now I'm like following like mostly Australian designers and architects and man, like their furniture is so rad and they just like have so many, I'm always like, where is this from? And it's always in Australia and they're, they'll ship here a lot of them, but you know, then you're like, how much is that going to, it's like, I, I got a, a light fixture from uh, like a 140 lighting, something like that in the States. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Because um, it was the first time I sourced from them and cool. I got it. And then I ended up getting, I had to pay $160 in duty. That's crazy. That I have like never... more than half of the light fixture in addition. What can you do? It's, it's really sucks. It really yes. sucks. <laughs> it sucks a lot. And the thing too is I also, not only do I want to be able to make money off trade only, but I think it's nice to be able to bring the client furniture that they can't find on their own. Like that should also be a perk of working with a designer is that you have a piece of furniture in your home that maybe not everybody has because they don't have access to that trade only source. That's so interesting, actually. I've never, I've never, I've heard you mention that and a couple other people about Canada and having limited resources there, but that's like a whole other layer of like, I think, I know it sucks. I think that not every style here has limited. Like if you're in the traditional, doing traditional stuff, like highly upholstered and, um, you know, you're doing transitional, then, then you're, you're probably fine. Like yeah. if you go to the design centers, like it's full of great options for that style. I go to those and I'm like, no, 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 like not my aesthetic at all, unless I'm like super forcing it. And and now I realize like I would rather because it is a slightly feels slightly unethical too. Like, you know, you're you're putting money ahead of like the best for the project. Hey. And I don't want to do that. Hey. I want to be able to like create rooms that are true to what I believe to be the best. You know what I mean? Have you done a lot of custom furniture? I've done a little bit like sofas and stuff. Um, but no, I haven't yet. Something that maybe, I mean, obviously like it's really expensive. It can be really, really expensive to do custom furniture. So, but if you have a project that, that the budget is there for a little bit of a higher end yeah. furniture um, budget, then you may want to think about it just because it's a way to get, 
exactly what you want yeah. to really set yourself apart and to give something like totally unique. Um, you know, I think it's also really rewarding and fun. It's a great part of your portfolio and you never know, like I've, that's something that's a goal of mine in the future is to have a line of furniture of custom furniture. And I'd love to do a line of hardware as well. But, um, just because it's, for somebody to, to really want your aesthetic and to come to you and be able to purchase one really high quality piece of furniture, like that may not be your design client, but you're still making a really, you know, you're a great margin on a piece yeah. of furniture that you've designed and you know, the quality that's going, you know, coming out of it. And yeah. um, I think it's, it's a fun it's, process. It, there's so many times that I look at furniture and I go, I like this, except like, I wish it, the arm did this instead or whatever it's like amber interiors her shop i'm pretty sure like at least 90 percent of it is all designed by her i think that they probably license or well i've wondered that i don't really know how they work but i think at least with their sofas and stuff i feel like they license i don't know like that's why i say 90 percent. but i know like because she talks a lot about things being designed like like wood pieces and and things like that so I don't know to what extent either, but I do like if I could, if I could order from Amber Interiors, I mean, it's pretty high price, but, um, my clients aren't quite that high price, but, uh, I would freaking love my life if I had access to that in Canada. But if I order and same with like Studio McGee, I, I mean, pretty much love everything. And like how amazing, I just think about how amazing and like Studio McGee, there's a place here in, in Canada too, in Ottawa, LD Shop, they're called, which is very like Studio McGee-ish. And that's pretty much my aesthetic as far as yeah. the is concerned. And I just think of how, how easy it would be to be able to have your own inventory to pull from of like, I have handpicked all of this stuff. I love it all. And it's all coming right back to me. Like, that is so freaking amazing. And how quickly you have stuff at your disposal, whether it's like your accessories and and all like it just oh it's like the dream man it's so good yeah girl <laughs> I yeah. that's the thing too when I think about going to market I'm like man I'm gonna be so like it's an investment because I'm not gonna use most of the stuff that I find like I'm gonna find like one sofa or like maybe a chair from like this company and then maybe a table from this company and you know I'd love to have a line of like retail or an online store or something yeah same sources but you know it's hard because a lot of these places uh you have there's minimum order quantities so you can't, yeah. It's so, so like for so like, maybe for you that's a good thing then because you're paying it all at once and you're you're not ordering piece by piece, you know. And you buy ten of the same bed and you'll use it over the next three years on different projects. Yeah. I I don't know where I would do warehousing in Toronto because it's so expensive here. I mean, it's probably expensive. I that's the, there's so many details. Like I feel like I need to crack. It is. It's definitely a goal. The whole idea of it is very like breaks my brain. I don't understand any of it. I just want to talk to some people who can kind of in, like, give me some insight on that. But no, I think it would be so. I do think I want to get some uh, accessory inventory and invest in that because there's stuff that I find I can never find. And there's certain key pieces I feel like I'd use over and over again and not having to go shop everywhere because it's so exhausting. If I have an inventory of some key stuff I can pull, um, that would make my life a lot easier and, and then make some additional money from trade only accessories. Yeah. Well, and there's, you know, there's things too, where like for a while I went, I like 
I love, I, I would love to travel more and I'd love to like source from different yeah. countries and that kind of thing. But I, <clears throat> I've talked, I had this uh, woman I was talking with who owns a, sh- a vintage shop here in town. And I was telling her about this uh, ceramicist in Thailand that we had met and I bought some dishes from her and I was like, really want to like go back there and like just buy a bunch of inventory from her and bring mm-hmm. it here. And she was like, why would you do that? Like you live in Portland. There are so many artists here and yeah. so many people that do beautiful ceramics, like use your local resources and it is more expensive, but you never know. It could be something too, where if you found some accessories from some local people that are handcrafting things, like that could be really cool to just have, like you, you might get a better price if you order 10 yeah. of something or. That's true. You know. It is way more interesting than a bunch of like random retail crap too. <laughs> Well, clearly Toronto is like in need of kind of a boost in, in the product offering that's out there. So if you can help. I know I've been trying to rack my brain. Like you hear an IV about purchasing agents. Yeah. I, I am like trying to talk to, I, I'm trying, I've tried to see, I've did a call, like anybody want to be on my podcast, but I'm not getting real much out of that. I would like to understand like, what does it mean to be a purchasing agent? Like, could I become one here in, in, uh, in Toronto and, you know, bring on, like, put it out there to the designers here and be like a hub. And yeah. I can even just hire a person that takes care of all the ordering for like, if I don't know, it's something I've considered, but it's also scary. But, and it's like, you know what, I'm like kind of like juggling too much, but I feel like it's something that I want to keep looking into. Yeah. I've considered well, too, like reaching out to designers to see if like, based on their aesthetic, like, you know, are, do, are you, am I able to order through you if you have these accounts and you've been ordering a lot of things, you know, can I, if you're getting like a better deal, I don't know. Well, the design, I mean, here, like the, the closest like design center we have is Seattle, which I, I haven't been to, but Portland is like, there's nothing here. Like there's really nothing. And I mean, even like fabrics, like you have Kravit and that's, that's it. There's like one other shop in town that has like Pindler and, I can't even think of like a few other, you know, nicer fabrics or more like workhorse type fabrics. But, you know, most of the time the reps that come to, would come into our farm were from Seattle that would make their trip down to Portland and do their rounds. Yeah. And we were ordering tons of product from there. So I don't know, like, I mean, I feel like we're really lacking here too. You have that extra layer of like duties and that, like, I don't even know anything about that. That's a whole other thing and a whole other expense, but um, I thought about that too. Like I've, uh, I've thought about, you know, is there some way to have like a design collective where you have a, you know, a buy-in and we could have yeah. like fabric reps and sources here and maybe have a fabric showroom and then have some other like furniture where designers can come in and actually like order like real designer pricing. I don't feel, I don't know if it's just me, but like, I don't feel like a lot of designers are even taking advantage of trade only sources either. Like, I think it's, I feel like that too. Like sometimes I follow some people and I'm like, Ooh, you know, I don't know if you just aren't aware of this, but it's funny. Cause I don't want to, and there are definitely trade centers in Toronto. I feel like I would like there to be a trade center that carried all of my favorite brands that they don't have. Like, and I find that oof, I shouldn't say this, but the, there's the trade center that I go to they do carry some, some brands and I feel like the price it is versus the quality. Like I'm like, it looks cheap, but you're, you're like charging me so much for this. Yes. And it's like, I think that the product at West Elm looks better or Crate and Barrel. And 
that's a problem. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're you're going to charge the same or more. Well, that's exactly why, that's like why I'm scared to even like spend the time and money to go to High Point. Cause I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I could sit there and go, I don't know how many vendors they have there, but oh, I've looked at it, it. It's, it's, you, you can't, been? can't see it all. Yes. I went last year. It was the most overwhelming thing I've ever been to in my entire life. It was, really? Oh yeah. You have no idea. I, okay. I'm a nerd. I went on their website and I clicked every, like the High Point website. I clicked I basically, the weeks leading up, I wanted a list of like where I wanted to make sure because it's like an entire world on its own and you cannot, like you can ask anybody, there's no way you can see the whole thing. So this year I was like, if I go to market, I think I'm probably going to go to Vegas because I think that that it's like a a smaller version that's not going to make me feel like I've failed because that's how I felt. I felt like I didn't, I didn't, it was too much. It was too much. And and you can, and and 90% of it, is not my aesthetic, right? So I went through and I went and clicked every single link and went to every single vendor link, which was probably like 500. And I could like quickly at a glance, if there was something I liked, then I added it to my list. And then I had to create, I mapped it out because you have to have a plan. Like if there's certain places you want to go, it's literally like you almost have to get in a cab in order to get to like other areas. Like that's how big it is. It's insane. So for me, I'd rather next time I just rather say, okay, I'm going to focus my time at like forehands and noir and really, really I like see the furniture so that I can comfortably say that couch was comfortable. That couch looked as I expected, like not, it shows up and it feels cheap or something like that. Right. And then maybe make a list of like, these are the pieces I would absolutely specify um, the firmness on and, and really just kind of focus on a couple key places. And then I think like, are you in the, what they don't teach you in interior design school? Uh-uh. Okay. You should totally be in that one. Veronica Solomon. This was like one of the first groups I was in and she was the person who basically made me realize like you can make a lot of money running your own business like this. And as soon as she told me, like she communicated some of the numbers, I was like, it completely opened my mind. And then that allowed me to start doing, cause it's like, you can't do something if you don't realize you can, cause your mind's not open to that. Right. But a lot of people will say it's better. And it makes so much sense for so many reasons to just identify a few key vendors that you continue to source from because you build, first of all, you can source quicker. If you can find the one that you can pick all the furniture from, like maybe three as opposed to having like 30 and then never being able to meet the minimums or building that really good loyalty so that they are there for you when you need them to be. What are the sources? You got to find them too. And like that, that really worked. I know that was something that I learned from Susan when I worked for her, because we would meet clients at a showroom that sold sofas. I forget what the company was, but she that's that's like where she sourced all of her sofas from and I was like oh this is the thing like you just bring the client here they sit in it you customize it however you want and you move yeah. on and it was so a, much easier I didn't realize that that was like a way that people operated but then the last firm I was at like I said everything every project was so incredibly unique that I, I mean we had our kind of favorite vendors but there was not a lot of I mean everything needed a new fresh set of like eyes and like you know, some vendors would be appropriate, but some wouldn't. And, and if you have the one that you know, you're going to, is going to be your workhorse vendor that you're working with, that you are going to make the most money off of. That's great. And I, I'm with you, like, let's find them. Cause I don't know, like I've looked at, I look at some of the sofa companies that people talk about Lee, what Vanguard. I don't know. I don't even know. Lee, for, to my knowledge, I can't even set up an account with Lee. 
Oh, really? Not in Canada. I have to go to like uh, another sort, like they, they told me to go to like a retailer here and I would only get 20%. Oh, geez. That's so annoying. Oh my gosh. I feel so bad for you right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. I really do. Yeah, so no, I know. But there's probably the point. No. Who is this idiot? Yeah, he can. And I just don't know yet. I'm like, no. my needs to crack this code and maybe it does exist, but I just don't know how to make it happen yet. Yes. Well, I, don't, I would <laughs> get an answer for you. I know. I know. It's all these things to consider. Right. And I thought a lot about that where I'm like, I remember, <laughs> I remember one thing you said, in one of your podcasts when you were talking about um, how you wanted to do e-design and you were like, I actually don't really like people, but I like hear you do these podcasts. I'm like, you like people. You just don't, <laughs> like, you just don't like the pressure of like working with those people maybe sometimes or something, you know, cause that's how I feel. You know what? No, it's, it's, people are like, oh, you're an extrovert. Like I'm not really, but people are like, yeah, you are like, okay. I know who I am. I'm not an extrovert. I'm not, I have to be in the right frame of mind, the right mindset, mentally prepared. And after, after it's like, okay, I need time alone. And like, I'm good at it. Like, and I think, and people see me as being good at it, but it, it's not something I'm like super excited about. Like, I'm not like a people person. Like, I just want to be in customer service and, and like communicate with people and get in my car. Like I'd rather literally sit in front of my laptop all day. Me too. But that's the thing is like, we're in one of the most like intimate customer service roles. And that is so hard for me to even wrap. I mean, like right now, the project I was saying that I'm learning all these lessons on, the client is like a dream. He's so nice. He's so easygoing. He is just like open. He likes everything I show him. He's really like just cool. And I still like, am like, this sucks, but I should, sh- it's not him. It's me. Yeah. Yeah. But, but so I guess what I, my point is just that like, when I'm thinking about, as I'm establishing my business, like, what am I going to focus on? Am I going to focus on product sales? Because that feels way better than having to deal with everybody's personalities, all these contractors, uh, and you know, clients and you know, you're going to have nightmare clients. You always will have nightmare clients. And even if the good ones still feel hard, you know, that, that maybe says something to me about it. Is, I know. And I had no idea. Like I, I didn't, I thought I'd just be in front of my computer all day. Like that's what I thought I would do. I didn't think I'm, I had no idea I'd be in my car as much as I am. Like, I just didn't know that. Yeah. I know. We could, like get a new car because the car we had, like they were, we, we bought this car, not as like to drive a lot kind of car. Yeah. Know, like, you know, vintagey type thing. But, and I was just, I, I had no idea. Yeah, that's the thing too. Well, then that's something I think you learn. (laughs) You learn when you intern or you're a junior designer at a firm, you learn that you are going to schlep all day, every day. And you're going to get, you might be working on really great projects, but you're going to do all of that hard work where the other designers who are like more senior are going to sit at their desk and design and do the fun part. And then you're going to do all of the managing and the procurement and the ordering and the vendor relations. And you're going to be the guy that's going and like returning things and schlepping to a a photo shoot. It's, you know, it's (laughs) <laughs> it is, it's funny. I feel like having been naive was a benefit to me because I, maybe if I did know as much as there is to know, then maybe it wouldn't have been like, I'm just going to start my business and do this. You know what I mean? Like I just, so I feel like it was, it was good that I was naive like that. 
And now just, I mean, it's good too. Like, cause the problem is if I didn't have that, I would probably be a hermit. So it's probably a good thing that, you know, and at the same time, like you do get to do it on your terms. Like you can just say, no, I'm not busy. I'm busy today. Like I have these weeks where it's like, I am in bed. Like there, it happened a few weeks ago, probably like two weeks ago. And I was just like, I feel like I'm having like a depression I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, I just needed to go to bed that day. And I, and then even my assistant at the time, like probably shouldn't listen to this, but I just, I just, the idea of having somebody here that I had to talk to was like more than I could bear. And I just needed to like check out and be not around people. And that's just like what happens every now and then. Right. Thank God you can do that right now. Exactly. That's a scary part about growing. I mean, I had a lot of conversations with my last boss where, you know, she never expected to have the success and and the reputation that she developed. Like she didn't get a minute off. I mean, she walked in and it was like, her days were not her own ever. It was like, I need you for this. I need you for that. I need you like grabbing her. And it's like, I told her so many times, I'm like, I could not do what you do. Like, I couldn't do it. And she's like, I can't do it either. <laughs> like, <laughs> help me. Oh, you know? man. It's like, this is so hard because you don't, it, it doesn't, when you grow, you have employees that are waiting and depending on you and waiting on you and they, you need billable hours or it's coming out of your pocket. So if you can't be there to give them the direction they need and manage them, you know, I've really taken to heart, like a lot of the things that I've learned from different people I've worked for and just seen how they've operated and managed their businesses. And like, I think for me, uh, you're, you seem like the same way where like you get organized and have systems and like you want everything perfect. And there's a lot of me that's like, I'm having to like really sort of curb my, um, sort of innate desire to like have that all set up perfectly before I do anything. And, you know, I do have to jump in and just move, but a hundred percent. I will say on that. It's funny. I think back to corporate and how the higher ups back in the day would be like launching this and my mentality would be like, but it's not ready. And like, what a bunch of idiots. It's not ready. It's not ready. But like the reality is you really should be launching before it's ready. And because otherwise you're, I will find like early on going crazy on my processes would have been such a waste because it all would have gone out the window after yeah, like exactly. being in it. Right. But yeah. I do, I think that part, I, here's what I think I've realized is my, that, that has become like a coping mechanism trying to, for the chaos that I feel if things aren't structured. So, you know, I, if, if something goes like shitty in a process one time, then I immediately am like, I must create a process for this because I am not going to feel like that again. So everything feeling like everything needs to be perfect I think maybe has a little bit to do with the anxiety and like that's our way of like managing the the chaos of it all so that it doesn't feel so out of control that's 100% exactly me and like that is like you just 100% like hit the nail on the head (laughs) and I think like that for me was like the whole vendor database thing. It was like, the reason that that happened was because I started this company and they were like, okay, so like, you know, they give you like a little task to start you out on your first week. And they're like, okay, go find, uh, you know, some plumbing fixtures for this house we're doing. Here's the style of the house. They give me a little intro of like how many bathrooms, all that. Now go find some plumbing fixtures. And I'm like, uh, Kohler, <laughs> uh, Toda. So this was at your one of your previous uh, jobs. Yes, job. and they have, like a list for you. Like, here's our well, preferred vendors. No, 
but they all have been doing it. That team doesn't have a lot of turnover. So they've all been working together forever. They know their go-tos. They, they have their sources that they love. And so I was like, um, can you give me a few sources? And she sort of gave me a few. And then I, I looked through them and I was like, can you tell me a few more? And I was like, I better like figure out some way to like be able to do my job because I like, I have no idea where to look or for the type of furniture. Like when you have a home that's like millions and millions of dollars and they're spending millions of dollars on a renovation, you're not going to go looking around at like room and board. <laughs> for a sofa. <laughs> yeah. You're going to like go to these like gorgeous Italian manufacturers, BDW, like you're going to go to these really high end sources. And I didn't even know where to look. Like I had no clue what was even possible. Um, so as I started, like I had already started that database but then as I was learning more and more vendors, I was like, oh my God, I need, I need a resource to go to. And it was kind of funny because when I, I started working on it and adding and adding to it. And then at one point I was like, Hey guys, like I made this thing, maybe you guys want to use it. And I introduced it to the office and everyone was kind of, like, they were like, Oh, that's cool. No one used it. And then I realized that like the only people that sometimes used it, I was using it all the time, but were the other junior designers because they had no direction of where to go and look for these things. And nobody has time to sit there and hold your hand through it. They need you to like find it. So if they at least had like a place, you know, where they could start looking for something, it was super helpful. And, and, you know, I used to have like one of the columns on that database was like some of our favorites. And so I would have like those checked off where we knew like literally sort by like that firm's favorite vendors. Um, so that was really helpful, but that's where it came from. And, and it was because it was me, it was a total like self-defense or not self, what's the name? Survival. Yeah. Yeah. For me of like, I'm going to lose my mind, try and like freak out trying to find all these sources and furniture if I don't have some way to like organize myself. And that, you know, for me, like I've always been the person that was like, they're like, Oh, will you share your like time tracking spreadsheet with me? Or I always had like a to-do list spreadsheet that was like organized by priority and all this stuff. And I would share that with other people, but I was like, I I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't function without it. And that was a lot of why I was like, I got to go like do my own thing because this place is not structured the way that I can do good work. It just wasn't, it wasn't bad. It wasn't anyone's fault. It just wasn't the right thing for me to like do really good work why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Cause I know you haven't totally launched your website yet or your Instagram, but you might as well get people following on Instagram right now. Yes. And checking it, is out. At, it is at studio Rue, R I O U X. Um, that's my handle on Facebook and Instagram. And then uh, my website is just studio Rue.com. So. And everything looks really beautiful, by the way. I don't know who's doing your graphics, but if it's you, you're doing a great freaking job. Well, that's my little awesome. holding. Yeah, it's my little holding place right now. Um, I will give you a little tip, and I you you probably know this being graphic designer, but do you know Upsplash? No. Oh, oh Unsplash. No, you un- Upsplash. Is it photography? Well, it's yes. Yeah. Stock photography. I think yes. it's UN Splash. No. If, it's, if it's down free downloadable images, it's unsplash. I don't oh, really know what it means. I always call it upsplash. That's like a yeah. stupid... you know what's hilarious about that You're is right, it's unsplash. Yeah, it's a great. It's freaking great. I I specified a print like a, a like a photo print for a client, um, and I was like, oh, I'm pretty. It was just a digital download from like Etsy, and I think it would have been like ten bucks. But I did a reverse image search because I couldn't remember where I found it. And I found it on Unsplash for free. I yep. was like, what? I yeah, no, it's a great resource. 
Well, so I've just been using that <laughs> for any of my images. Yeah, I mean, your text yeah. overlay, like it, it looks really good. Like what you've oh. pulled together on your own, like it, you. it looks super legit and good. Thank you. I actually, one of the girls who I worked with at my last job, she left around the same time that I did. And she is just phenomenal. Like she has such a great aesthetic. And so she's working just like, she's like a barista, just like she was stressed out like I was. And she's like, I'm going to go be a barista for a few years. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I, and I know she's just living her life. It's cool. Um, but she's so freaking talented and has such a good eye. So she's actually doing my branding for me. And so I'm working with her right now, but um, we haven't put anything solid together yet. So right. we'll be doing it soon and we'll get the website up. And so. Well, I can't wait to see everything that you're doing and make sure you let me know when you launch your website and stuff. So I'm following you on Instagram. I'm waiting for just patiently waiting. No. But we should chat again. I feel I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you.